0: Our Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that you have brought us uh, to Michigan Camp Meeting. Lord, this is a time of the year that we always anticipate because it's a time when when you can encourage us, you can edify us, you can convict us, you can build us up, you can equip us, empower us to be able to be um, effective disciples of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that as we, begin this seminar that you would give us complete understanding of these biblical concepts that could revolutionize the way we we live not only as individuals but but as a church and i pray lord that in these last days in moments like this you would give us a, a double portion of your holy spirit to understand and uh, please convict our hearts lord where we need conviction and so we thank you for answering our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so so we're gonna the, the title of this seminar is Reprioritizing in the Last Days. Reprioritizing in the last days. And let me begin, let me begin by first asking what, what does what does priority mean? What's a priority? Anyone like to answer that? What's a priority? Putting it first, something putting something first, okay. What's the most important, okay. And what's needed, okay. And we can combine these things and, and, and make them, into, shape them into one sharp, concise definition, right? Very good, very good. I think that all of us have a pretty good concept of what a priority means. Um, one of the, the most... Um, Straightforward definitions that I came across is a thing that is recognized or regarded as more important or urgent than another. Okay, you said important, this adds urgent to it. So it's not just important, but a priority is what's important and urgent, right? Another definition said recognizing what ought to be done first, what ought to be done first? You know, we can, we can have several things to do and make a long list of things to do. But then the question remains, what is the most urgent, what is the most important, and what is the one that ought to be done first? Okay? Priority. Very good. Well, there is a, there is a, a quote from Ellen G. White that Um, That I believe many of you, if not all, have heard this before. Uh, It's one that's repeated often. And she wrote these inspired words. A revival of true godliness. Are you familiar with this verse or this passage? A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. Don't, Don't you see that? Just, you know, speaking of priorities, no? Greatest and most urgent of all our needs to seek this should be our first work. Isn't that what you said as well? Something that we do first. Hmm, priorities. There must be an earnest effort to obtain the blessings of the Lord. Not because God is not willing to bestow His blessings upon us, but because... We are unprepared to receive it. Are you familiar with that verse uh, passage? Yes. Okay. And it's interesting because let, let me let me recap it or summarize it in this way. She says there is something that is the greatest and most urgent. Okay. But we're not we're not reaping the we're not reaping the fruit or the benefits or the or the results of having obtained that. Because we are unprepared to receive it. We're unprepared to receive it. And my question to you today is this. Could it be that we're unprepared to receive it because we have all the wrong priorities? See, we, we know what's important. And, and, and we're, you know, we're doing all the important things that, that we feel important. But and no one's arguing that these are not priorities. See, that's the thing. No one's arguing that what you might consider a priority is a priority. No, no one's arguing that. The question is, is it the most urgent and the most important? And I believe, and I've been convicted that, you know, maybe we need to reprioritize, especially in these last days. And today, we're going to examine this as an introduction. We're going to, my first presentation today is, is an introduction Entitled, If Not Now, When? That's, that's the topic of today's um, talk. If not now, when? And so going back to G. White's Code, we are unprepared to receive it. I guess another question would have to be, what are we unprepared to receive? What, we are, what are we unprepared to receive? And what's causing that, that unpreparedness? Um, let me ask you that question. I like, I like to hear your, your thoughts. Why are we unprepared? What's, what's causing us to be unprepared to receive the blessing of healthy church growth or, or primitive godliness? What, what's causing us to be unprepared? What do you think? To receive the blessing of the Lord. Distractions. Okay. Okay. Distractions. Busyness. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Self centeredness. Okay. Those are all right answers. Any other thoughts? Social media. Okay. Which is distraction, right? Uh-huh. We're not on fire. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those are all right answers. Yeah. We're not surrendered. Hmm. Unprepared to receive it. How about unbelief? Unbelief. Um, Acts of the Apostles, page 36, it's just a single sentence that caught my attention. It said, talking about the upper room experience, which we believe we are in now, right? Like now, now is the upper room period, right? Where we as believers, as the church, should be in an upper room experience, right? It shouldn't be happening, you know, you know, in, in the far future, or even near future, it should be happening now. And look what she says. As the disciples waited for the fulfillment of the promise. Isn't that what we're doing? Are we not disciples? And are we not waiting for the fulfillment of the promise? See? But notice what she says. As they waited, they humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. Okay, they humble their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. We could add unbelief to why we're so unprepared. Uh, how about apathy or indifference? Hmm? Apathy or indifference. Like Pastor Ron Kelly shared, I believe, last night, was it? That we are in danger of the Adventist church of becoming an, an ethnic group, you know, um, in, in the context of, of Christianity. Uh, we're just just a subgroup. In the Christian culture, hmm. apathy or indifference? Well, what if everything you just said, plus these additional thoughts, what if, what if it all could be summed up, the reason we are unprepared to receive the true blessing of the Lord is because our priorities are not the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. We're not, we're not nailing it. We're not spending our energy and time and focus on what we really ought to be. And so, again, the purpose of the seminar is to examine from a biblical perspective what ought to be our priorities as modern-day disciples and as a church in preparation to receive the blessing of the Lord, which comes as a result of a revival of primitive godliness. And so, again... Today's lecture topic is, uh, title is, If Not Now, When? You remember the 70s, a lot of you do, yeah. 70s. I remember the 70s, is the year I was born. I was born in 76, I, I know the 70s. I was born right there in 76, but even a couple years before I was born. The year was 1974. Most of you remember that year, that time? And there was a 32-year-old songwriter who pulled out a poem from his file cabinet. It was a poem that his wife had written about a year and a half earlier during the time when Harry was often away on, road, on the road doing concerts and um, very busy man. And, um, and his wife had written this, this poem and, and she said, what do you think of this? He read it, didn't think too much of it. She said, oh, it's not bad. Put in the file, forgot all about it. And it was a poem he had paid no attention to. And now, and now, a year and a half later, since she wrote that poem, uh, his life was a little different. Because now he was holding in his arms a newborn baby, his very own. His very own baby. And he was moved by the words of the poem that his wife had written. The name of that poem was Cats in the Cradle. His name was Harry Chapin. And the song tells the story of a father. You know the song? He's too busy, spend, too busy to spend time with his growing son. And despite the fact that the father is putting off quality time with his son, the son sees his father still a role model. Dad, I want to be just like you. Even though, even though he was not spending that quality time, his son still looked up to him. And his father was a fine example of who the boy wanted to be when he grew up. So in the end, of the, in the, end the son does grow up, right? To be just like the father. And at this point, fast forward now, the aging patriarch, right? Reaches out to his son for his quality time. For quality time, the boy is simply too busy with his family, with his family. The closing lines of the song say this, As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the last refrain changes from, When are you coming home, dad, to when are you coming home, son? And the answer, the same, same one that the Father gave years before? Answer, I don't know when, but, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. It's a very sobering message, isn't it? Very sobering message. A message that reminds us of the value of prioritizing our time and doing things that matter the most and things that matter the most. And so the context of this seminar is is twofold. On the one hand, you may ask yourself these questions as an individual, you know, as as a modern-day disciple. You know, what matters the most to me? Or, and or, I should say, and or, you could ask the question, what matters the most to my church? What matters the most to my congregation, to my church family, to my church? And so, again, a question I have for you, then, is what matters the most to you? To you. What matters the most to you? Believe me, it's a question that must be asked. And, and I think it's a question that might be a hard question to ask, because we, we kind of sense, you know, the kind of answers we're going we're gonna to give. And we don't really like those answers, because we know they're not right they should not be what they are, but we need to ask those questions. What are their priorities at this very moment in your life? I'm not talking about what were your priorities as you began college and decided on a career. That, those, those were your priority for 20 years ago, many years ago. The question is, why are your priorities at this very moment, at this very moment what are the priorities that drive the purpose of your life? Must be asked. And I want to be able to, to look at Scripture as as we uh, consider the life of Christ. Let's, let's look at the life of Jesus as we ask ourselves these, these questions. Would you come with me, for those who brought your Bibles, to Mark chapter 1? Mark chapter 1. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses... 35 to 39, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39, and and here we find a story that is just a perfect story that reveals to us what was the one underlining priority that dictated Christ's actions, because that's that's what priorities do. Um, Notice with me, verse 35, Mark chapter one, verse 35. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he did what? Prayed and there he prayed. Point number one, as we ask ourselves the question, what are the priorities in my life? What are the things that matter the most in my life? What are the things that ought to be the most urgent and the most important in my life today as a modern day disciple of Christ? I'll tell you right now that the answer will never come to you unless you're in prayer. It's when you will not be able to come to a clear conclusion and understanding of what truly are your priorities unless you pray. In other words, one cannot have clear priorities while living a prayerless life it's just not possible after all the heart the heart the bible does say that the heart is dece- deceitful above all things who can know it and if we're going to get to the core of what drives us of what matters the most we got to be spending time in prayer and Jesus is praying and he's praying Notice now verse thirty six and thirty seven, and Simon and Simon, and those who were with them searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, oh, Master, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Now let me pause here for a moment. If you are a modern day disciple, one who has been commissioned to go out into the world, okay, and someone comes to you and say, Listen. There's people lined up, you know, ready to sign up for Bible studies. I mean, how would you, how would you react? You'd be like, ka-ching. <laughs> I just that's perfect. Where where are they? Tell me, tell me, take me take me to them." You would be you would be quick to to jump to it and and go to where people are. After all, you have a message and you want as many people as possible to hear it. But did in Jesus, too, though. If there was anybody who had a message to share to the masses, it would have been Jesus. It would have been Jesus. So for him to hear everyone is looking for you, that's what every evangelist wants to hear. But notice what happens next. So much for the WWJD. What would Jesus do? Because because what Jesus does is throws a (laughs) curveball, He completely blindsides us with his action, with what he chooses to do. Instead of being driven by impulse, by evangelistic impulse or a desire to want to share, he was driven by his priority. Look at verse 38. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose, I have come forth. For this purpose, I have come forth. In other words, if we were to paraphrase what he just said, he, he, he's saying this. No, let us go to the next towns. I'm not going to be driven by impulse. I know you're hyped up that people are looking for me and wanting, but no, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to go out to other areas because for this purpose I have come forth. In other words, for this reason I was born. For this reason I exist. For this reason I exist. We'll come back to what happens next for the rest of the story. A little bit later. But, but for now it's sufficient to, to focus in on his, on his words. For this purpose I came forth. And so what moves you? What determines your actions? What determines your what you're going to invest in? What you're going to be um, investing in, whether it's projects or, or initiatives or, or you know, goals? What, what moves you? What fuels that? What ignites you to do? Is it just mere impulse, instinct? Or have you come to the point that you know the purpose why you exist? You know the purpose why you came forth. What purpose, for what purpose do you exist? Or for what purpose does the church exist? Again, as I, as I said earlier, as we go through this, you're going to have two, two contexts to think about. One is your own personal modern day disciple. What's my priority? What's my purpose? Why did I come forth? Why do I exist? And, or... Why does my church exist? What's the purpose of my church? Why do we exist in our community, in our neighborhood? Why are we here? And where are we going? And so your priorities will answer that question. Now, let's switch gears for just a moment. You know, one of the first answers that I usually get when asking, what are the priorities for the church? There's, there's, there's an answer that is a common, common answer. I'll reveal that to you because I have a feeling I might hear it here in this, in this context, as, asking you the same question. What, what are the priorities? If you, could, if you could say it in one word, what are the priorities of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in 2018? What, what are the priorities? What ought to be the priorities? How would you answer that? evangelism, how would you answer, one word, Tom, okay, okay, increase the spiritual life of its members, I heard evangelism, any one word, discipleship, Discipleship. okay, okay, evangelism is the one you pretty much always hear, without exception, I've always heard that kind of response, evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. And it's the focus being made here at CAM meeting as well. Now, let me be quick to say that I don't question at all that evangelism is part of the answer of our priorities. I don't, be- I don't believe that most would even question that at all. Of course we exist for evangelism. Of course we do. And we can all agree that evangelism is a priority. Amen? Yeah? Okay. But my next question then is this: What is evangelism? Witnessing, okay, soul win, soul winning, true. Fulfill, okay, fulfilling Christ's mission, uh huh. Truth, okay. Evangelism, gospel preached in all the world, okay, okay. How about adding members to the church? Would that be part of the answer? part of the answer I see some nodding yes others no but I think we call we can all agree that that's part of the answer I mean after all we want to increase the kingdom of God we want to be able to 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 go fishing for men and bring in as many souls as possible I think adding members to the church could be part of the answer and it's definitely an important part of the answer But perhaps the most important question, this is, and this is getting to 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 the heart of the matter of what this this seminar will be all about. Could it be that the most pressing or important question is who adds to the church? Hmm, who adds to the church? I'm gonna take you to two verses that are often read, often read, but they're rarely put together to reveal a very crucial sequence when it comes to evangelism and when it comes to church growth. Um, let me share those two verses with you. Acts 5.41 is the first one. Acts, 5, Acts 5.41. Notice Acts chapter 5, verse 41. All right, Acts 5.41. Um, could someone read that for me? Okay, that's the wrong reference. All right. <laughs> okay, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what the verse says. All right. Yeah, the heat's getting to me. See, it's all right. This this is what the verse says. Okay. Okay. This is what the verse says. And the Bible says that they that they that that they added. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Two forty. Hold on a second. Um, okay. No. No. No, no. Hold on a second. And that they added that they added to the Lord. That's what it says. And they added to the Lord. That's the passage I'm looking for. It's not Acts. It's not Acts 541. Yeah, you can look it up in a concordance. I don't have the moment to do it now, but but they added to the Lord. Okay. have you heard that phrase before in the book of Acts and the early church added to the Lord, added to the Lord, added to the Lord. Right. Okay. it's a very it's more than once. 5.14 Five fourteen is it? Thank you. Forty one. See what I did? What in the world? Okay. Acts five five fourteen. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. There it is. And believers. Thank you. And believers were increasingly added to who? Added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Okay. They they were increasingly added to the Lord. Now. Keep that verse, that 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 verse in mind, and now go to Acts 247. Acts 247. Notice what this verse says. Again, it's just two verses that we often read, but in separate contexts. But now that we put them, combine them together, it's very revealing. Something is something very insightful. To the church daily, those who are being saved. Ah, did you see it? Did you see it? It says, and the Lord added to what? To the church. To the church. Okay. Do you see a sequence? Looking at those two verses, what can you tell me about church growth or evangelism in these two verses? What, what's, what's, the, what's a sequence here? A progressive sequence. What, what did you notice? Ah, the focus of the early church was to add people to who? To the Lord. And then in turn, the Lord added people to the church. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that? Could it be, could it be, could it be that while claiming to be prioritizing by adding people to the church, maybe we need to reprioritize? Maybe, just maybe, we ought to be adding people to the Lord. Because when we add people to the Lord, guess what results from that? True genuine conversion. Conversion. There's there's not just a mere conformity to to certain expectations or certain rules or certain or certain behaviors or certain standards. There's there's the driving element is, is one's willingness to serve the Lord with gladness, to trust and obey and to respond to the convictions of the Holy Spirit because they've been added to the Lord. I'd like to propose to you that true evangelism is, is a lot more than just being driven to add members to the church and increase our church membership Um, role or list or or be able to have as many baptisms as possible, increasing membership and trying to have church growth that way. Could it be, could it be that the greater priority ought to be adding people to the Lord, to the Lord? And I believe that as we reprioritize and, and get our Our priorities straight I believe that we'll find ourselves prepared to receive the blessings of the Lord because we are working together with him and because of him and for him and with him in preparing people for a soon return you know people from all walks of life from all walks of life and we know them all in fact this everyone here in this room represents people from all walks of life. And we all have convincing arguments of what ought to be priorities in our personal lives or in, in our existence or in the church. We all have different opinions. And and we would even go on as far as to say that you're all right. All of you would be right to some degree because I'm sure that your response to the question what ought to be our priorities are are true, they're real, they they're relevant they're they're valid you know for tom brady for example and i'm talking about just priorities in life for tom brady do you recognize who he is he's a quarterback for the new england patriots have you heard what his diet is what how he, his daily diet his daily diet consists of no sugar no white flour no dairy no MSG, no coffee, no caffeine from any source, no alcohol, and all those things are his daily regimen. He this is he's religiously practices this kind of lifestyle or, or diet. See, for Tom Brady, this is a priority. A priority for what purpose or for what end result? To stay fit for his game, to be able to be in the top condition, to be able to execute and be able to perform to the max, to the the highest uh, capacity. So we all have priorities and self-discipline to remain focused on what our priorities should be. But what ought to be those priorities? And so today I could do a survey. I can pull out a survey and, and, and start getting your answers. What should be the priorities in our church or in our life? And and we could, we could st- take days trying to figure those out, the top priorities. But uh, what I've discovered is that there is a source where we can find our answer. Where we can just cut to the chase and let the word of God dictate to us what should be our modern day priorities as disciples of Christ. Do you remember uh, an illustration that is often used in evangelism, evangelistic series, in the in the subject of health? Um, Doctor Bruce Halstead. He was a marine biologist, and he was employed by the American government after the Second World War. And uh, he did extensive study, and he discovered that. And he prepared because of his research, he prepared a manual for Navy flyers that would be, you know, um, operating in above large bodies of water, and, uh, and in the case that they would be shot down over water, um, they, he because of his research, he put together a manual that would determine what would be the best uh, seafood for them to eat and survive. Do you remember hearing about this? And, uh, and the manual dictated the fish that were safe to eat and the fish that were not safe to eat. And this project, funded by the American government, cost thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars. So he published a manual for his flyers on his finding, and and the interesting thing he said was this, and I quote, If you lose this manual, remember one thing. If it has fins and scales, you can eat it. If it doesn't have fins and scales, such as crab and lobster and shrimp and oyster and clams, don't eat it because of the high levels of toxins, end of quote. Wow, what an amazing conclusion. <laughs> and I venture to say that you could have come up with that same conclusion. Why? Because we're Bible students, we we study the word of God, and and, 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 and that is a conclusion that well, God said it first, right? It's in the word of God. It's in the word of God. And, and so rather than asking ourselves, what is the most important, urgent you know, matters here in those last days for the church and for modern day disciples, might we be able to find a biblical answer to that question? So that we don't have to, to go around spinning in circles trying to figure it out and having debates or conclusions or arguments about what ought to be the top priorities in the church I believe that we can find an answer. And as long as we have faith in God, I believe that the Holy Spirit will give us that revelation. Something that I've heard someone comment um, uh, in times past when I've shared this, this presentation is, you know, as long as we're faithful to God, as long as we have faith in God, should we even be concerned about having the right priorities? I mean, should we just kind of let you know, let the spirit lead and not be so concerned about about being so focused in determining what are the most important priorities? Well, it's a fair question, I suppose, because we do want to make best use of our time and we don't want to be, be spending too much time trying to figure it out. Could it be that we don't need to be so focused on priorities? Well, I thought about that question and, and, this is what I discovered. Let me ask you a question. Does the devil, Satan, does he have priorities? Hmm. How about John 10:10? Let's go to it real quick. Look at John 10:10. Mmm. John 10:10. Jesus, Jesus just cuts the chase here, in fact. Does the devil have priorities? Yes, he does. You're absolutely right, and I believe that Jesus in John ten ten would agree. He nails it. Knows what he says there in John ten ten. He says the thief. Of course, we know who he's referring to. Does not come except to. Okay, that language alone speaks of priorities. He he comes. You know, he can come and do a bunch of things. He could come and, I could, I, you know, I can show you a hundred different things that the devil could do. But the devil comes except to do these specific things. Why? Could it be because it's his priorities? Hmm. It says the thief does not come except to, to do what? Three things. To what? Say it with me. Steal, to kill, and to destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Precisely. These are the devil's priorities, steal, kill, and destroy. And now let me take you to another Bible reference that sheds light on even more specific detail of what he steals, kills, and destroys. This was a, this was a result of, of just a, a reading of scripture that I was having one time, and, uh, and I just combined these two verses and it revealed something to me that I had never seen before. Look, look at Second Timothy one seven. Um, keep, your, keep your thoughts on John ten ten because we'll refer to those in a minute here. But combine them with the concepts that Paul writes about in Second Timothy one seven. Second Timothy one seven. Second Timothy one seven. There's a reason why we're, we're spending time with this introduction to figure out what are Satan's priorities and why he has priorities. Because once, once, we, once, we, once we wrap our minds around that, uh, we, will not, we will no longer question whether or not we should have priorities. We won't question why we ought to have priorities. You'll, you'll see why. Um, 2 Timothy 1.7. Notice what Paul writes here to Timothy. He says, For God... For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power of love and a sound mind. What I find very interesting is that this is Holy Spirit inspired because he inspired the writings of John as was well the writings of to Timothy. A thief, a thief. Does he not use the spirit of fear? Yeah, that's how he operates, right? A thief knows that if he, can, if, he can, if he can hold sway over his victims, over his, his, yeah, his victims with fear, he has power over them, right? That's how a, a thief operates. And so it's interesting to me that Jesus would say a thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God does not give us a spirit of fear. He operates in a completely different way. But notice what God Gives to us freely. Offers to us as gifts for us to accept and embrace and receive into our lives. He gives us a spirit of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. And so just for the sake of of clarity here, let's take half the room here. This half, I'm going to be asking you to give me in order the three things that the thief does, according to John 10.10 right? You're going to give them in order. He comes to; he only comes to boom, 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 okay? Then you will be prepared to respond with the three thing, gifts that God gives to us in order, as stated in 2 Timothy 1, 7, right? And notice what we'll discover. The thief only, one at a time, by the way, one at a time. So the thief comes to steal. Oh, let's do that again. He comes to steal. Mm, he comes to steal power. Think about that. Because the only, the enemy, by the way, the Bible says he's undefeated, okay? He's finished, he's a loser, okay? Um, there is no power in him. In other words, as a believer in Christ, the only power that Satan can have in my life is the power of the lie. The power of the lie if he can convince me to believe his lies about who I am in Christ, my identity, if he can convince me to believe his lies about who God is and his character, if, we can, he, if he can convince me to believe his lies about what others think about me and what I think about others and, and the community and, and creating division and strive with his lies among believers, we give him power. And the power that he receives is the power that he's stolen from us because he lied and we believed. Do you follow? And so he steals power. What's the second thing the thief does? He kills. Kill. Oh. Ah, that's precisely what he does. Because love is not just a signature on a marriage license, right? Love is something living. Has a heartbeat. It's real. It's 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 active. It it takes initiative. It's not self-centered, it's, it's living. And Satan wants to kill that love. And the third thing the thief does, he destroys sound mind. Yeah, that's precisely what he does. He destroys a sound mind because he knows, he knows that God speaks to us and says, come and let us reason together. The great controversy, the battlefield is right here in the mind. And if he can destroy the sound mind, he knows, he knows that we are going to be led astray. We're going to be led to not discern between truth and deception. And we're going to be lost because Satan will have sway over us and he knows our end if we believe his lies. And so here we have Satan, Satan's priorities. It was his prioritized demonic efforts that convinced Eve to question God's goodness. It was a lie. She believed it, and now she placed herself under his influence in the shade of the forbidden tree. It was his prioritized demonic efforts that influenced the rich young ruler to walk away from Jesus. It was his prioritized demonic efforts that persuaded Judas to betray Jesus, that moved Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the Holy Spirit so on and so forth. And there's so many examples in the Bible that reveal that Satan has priorities. And the Bible even tells us why he has priorities. I'll tell you why he has priorities. What do you think? I mean, before I take you to the biblical answer, why do you think Satan has priorities? Mm. Amy's a preacher's wife, see? And so... <laughs> Let's go to Revelation Revelation twelve twelve. Did you catch what she said? Mm, okay. Look at, she's a preacher herself. That's let me let me rephrase that. <laughs> Look at Revelation twelve twelve. Revelation twelve twelve. There's the answer. I'll tell you why he has why he has priorities. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and ye who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you. The thief comes except to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. He has come. The thief comes. The devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has what? A short time. A short time. That's precisely why. He has priorities because he has a short time. And tell me if this is not true or not. Isn't it funny how the more We think we have all the time in the world, the more careless we become with our priorities. Isn't that the truth? I mean, let's be honest. Isn't that the truth? You know, if I if I have if I think I have five minutes to accomplish something, you know, okay, 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 what's the most important? What's the most urgent? Only have five minutes. But then someone comes and says, Oh, listen, hey, it's been a change of plans. You have five hours. Oh, really? I have five hours? Whew. And all of a sudden, the sense of recognizing what my priorities are, are just completely dropped, you know, many notches, right? Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Huh. I, I remember one trip that my dad and I, uh, my dad took to visit Heidi and I, this before we had Elijah and Mariah, and he came to visit us. And, um, and he spent a, cu- a couple days with us. And then it was time for him to depart from the airport. And we knew the departure time. And we, we got on the car and we headed that direction, right? As we were heading that direction, uh, my dad, my dad for obvious reasons, wanted to be sure that he would not miss his flight. And so he said, are, are, we, gonna, are we good? Are we doing good with time? I'm a little nervous. Are, are we sure we're okay? And I said, don't worry, dad. <laughs> don't worry, we know, we know how life is here in the city, we're, we're going to get you on time, don't worry about it, and so, and so we carried on in conversation as we're driving, and, um, and all of a sudden, I personally got hungry, I personally got hungry, and I suggested, hey, guys, um, why, why don't we stop and eat, I mean, I, aren't you hungry, dad, you're going to catch a flight, you're not, they're not going to give you a lot of food in the, in the plane, so why don't we just stop and eat somewhere? And my dad didn't like the idea. He said, oh, I don't know about that. But dad, we're going to be okay. Let's just eat. Let's, we got to. So we, we went off the exit, went to a restaurant, sat down to eat. And it's so funny because we took a bunch of pictures. You know, you know, the food came out. We took pictures, a bunch of selfies. You know, we were just laughing, talking, taking pictures of our time together. And, um, and we carried on and we ate our meal. And then we got back in the car. As we got back in the car and headed back out to the airport, all of a sudden, I, I couldn't believe it. Where did this traffic come from? Why in the world is there traffic at this time of the day? It shouldn't be traffic. Sure enough, it was not because it was rush hour. It was because it was an accident that had taken place, causing a complete, complete jam up. And now here we found ourselves right in the middle of this traffic. My dad all of a sudden got really quiet, really quiet. Next thing you know is my phone rings, or his phone rings rather, and it was my mom. She was in Tennessee and she was calling to see how things were going. And all all he could say in his conversation was uh, in Spanish, si mamita, no mamita, si mamita, no mamita. Yes or no answers. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I know exactly what she's asking him. Uh, Are you you on the way to the airport? Yes. Are you going to get there on time? No. (laughs) I was like, oh, great. And he was right. We actually did not catch our flight. We were late, and he missed his flight. And his his delay took him, it was close to 10 hours um, of being late to his destination. My point is this, my point is this, that we lost track of time, and we thought that we had all the time in the world. What is the rush? Why, why can we just keep calm? You know, the, you know the popular slogan nowadays, you know, keep calm and whatever. Keep calm. Keep calm. Well... Yeah, we found ourselves stuck in traffic. And, and believe me, at that point, now that we're in traffic, <laughs> nothing else mattered. No rest area, no shopping, no stopping, no nothing. Not even a restroom break. My, dad's, my dad would have said, no, I'm holding it. Let's just get to the airport. <laughs> believe me, we were quick to reprioritize when we realized that we had a short time. My dad missed that flight that day. But don't you find yourself reprioritizing as soon as you realize you don't have much time? And I want you to begin to to really ask yourselves, how much time do we really have? How much time do we really have? I was here at CAM meeting seven years ago. Michigan CAM meeting seven years ago was the last time. I pastored here for 13 years from, when was it? From 99 to 2012. And, um, and so it was about seven, six, seven years ago that we were here. And since we've been here, um, one of the most, <laughs> one of the, the funnest things we've experienced is seeing Our old friends, you know, you know, families from the churches we pastored, Michelle, you know, to see people like Michelle and others that we haven't seen for such a long time and and realizing how the years go by. And one of the most common comments that people have made, of course, is when they see my two kids, Elijah and Mariah, who today they're eight and ten. So back when we left Michigan, there were two and four. And so when they see them they can't believe how much they've grown. It's like, "What?" can and, and I've said the same thing about some of, you know, some of the, their kids and and uh, and the reality is, is that wow, time just flies by. It's amazing how quickly time flies by. But do we find ourselves in a in a in a stupor of sorts? Do we sometimes catch ourselves oblivious to how Fast time is going by only meaning one thing that we have that much less time before the coming of Christ. That the coming of Christ is, is closer than what when we first believed. That the coming of Christ is very near. But let's put aside the event of the coming of Christ, his literal, glorious, audible, visual appearance. Let's put that aside for a moment. Just think about life itself. And how short life is. I mean, who guarantees, God forbid, but who guarantees that you would, you're gonna arrive safely back home from camp meeting? What, what gives you the guarantee that you're gonna pick up you know, on your job, you know, first Monday morning after camp meeting and life is gonna keep going? What guarantees that, that you will make it even to bed tonight? There's no guarantees of that. Time is short. We all experience that. When the house is a mess, men and your wife calls to say, honey, I actually got free and I'm coming home early. Did you get the things done they asked you to do? (laughs) When you realize you have a short time, it's time to reprioritize. And so today... I want to conclude with this concept, and that is this, that the reason, the tragedy, why the the devil is becoming more and more successful in his goals to steal, kill, and destroy is because he knows that he has a short time. And the flip side of that is the reason why, the reason why we, the church, appears to be less and less successful in healthy church growth and a revival of primitive godliness is because we are told that we have a short time, but we so easily forget, you see. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, I want us to be able to now come to the heart of the scripture that will be our focus this week. Before we, as we got started here today, I told you that oftentimes there are nuggets of truth. There's principles, there's content in the Bible that cuts the chase. It gives us the answer. We don't have to be going around, spinning our wheels, trying to figure it out ourselves. The Bible tells us so. And I'm going to take you to a passage that will be the focus of our passage this week. And it's found in 2nd, um, 1 Peter, First Peter chapter 4. Would you come with me to 1 Peter chapter 4? 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we are going to look at verses 7 to 11. Inspired by the Holy Spirit... Paul reminds us that the end of all things is at hand. Notice verse 7. He says, first part, but the end of all things is at hand. What does is at hand mean? What, paraphrase that, that for me. What, 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 is this, what is Peter saying? It's almost here. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's at hand. Okay, okay. Listen. This is this is this is this is scripture. Okay, Peter is saying because the end of all things is at hand because it's right here. And how much more? How much more has Matthew the signs of Matthew twenty four been fulfilled? How much more are the uh, contractions getting fewer and, and, and you know and, and and closer together? How much more is the end of things is all hand? How much more? He says therefore. Uh, paraphrase the word, therefore. Huh? Because. because. Okay, therefore, because this is the case, therefore, because, as, because of this, therefore this. Okay? In other words, Peter is saying, because the end of all things is at hand, therefore, therefore, let me remind you, let me tell you, what you ought to do. And you know what the end means, don't you? The end? Well, let me remind you, there's a classic description of the end. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. But the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. It's not going to be pretty. That's the end. That's the end of all things. And do you realize that Peter not only warns us that the end of all things is at hand, but he unequivocally outlines what ought to be the priorities of those who claim to be followers of Christ in the last days. And he mentions four to be exact. Four. His words, again, are found in 1 Peter 4, uh, verses 7 to 11. Follow with me. He says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If, any, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Four priorities that Peter outlines. Priority number one, get serious in prayer. Get serious in prayer. Our subject as we examine priority number one, will be, what what does it mean to agonize in prayer? What does it mean to wrestle with God in prayer? What does it mean to pray not, not as business as usual? What does it mean to pray in the last days? What should be the nature of our prayers? What should it look like? What should characterize prayer in the last days? What does it mean, Peter, when he says, when he says, Be serious in prayers. What does it mean to be serious in prayer? Are you serious when you pray? Have we come to the point where we're just praying, praying, we've learned to pray since we were in crater roll and we still pray in the same way. What does it mean to pray seriously and what does it mean to be watchful in your prayers? We're going to examine that and by God's grace, discover prayer in a whole different way. We gotta get serious, priority number one. Priority number two, love each other more intensely and more intentionally. God forbid that this is not a priority. And by the way, priority means to be intentional about it. Remember, we, were, we already examined that. The more that we recognize that we have a short time, the more we are sensitive to the fact that we need to be very focused. What is our priority? Peter says to love more intensely, more intensely. What does that mean and why? What is the characteristic of the church that will literally draw people unto Christ? What is it that people will see? And by seeing, they will conclude, oh, these people are disciples of Christ. What is it? Guess what? It's not a specific twenty. one of the doctrines of the the 28 fundamental doctrines. It's something that goes much deeper, which does result in, but it's not even a doctrine. It's something that speaks to our character. And we're going to examine that a little closely. It may necessitate a time to do serious heart searching and be able to come before the Lord as we reprioritize. The third thing will be, priority number three, be genuinely welcoming and accepting. There in, in verse 9, we're going to examine that. We're going to break that down. What does it mean to be hospitable to one another without grumbling? Could it be, could it be that, that we're so focused on our priorities and we know what they ought, ought to be, but within our church, we see it too much we see grumbling we see we see a lack of hospitality what does that look like and priority number 4 is spiritual gifts putting your spiritual gifts to use and i'm going to share with you how how we've approached this this infamous process called the nominating committee <laughs> which by the way <laughs> it's kind of funny but um, before first and second reading, usually have a week, you know. Back in Denver South, we're going to have two weeks, two weeks. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if not, if only because this is week one right now, <laughs> and I'm here. I should be there, but I'm here. <laughs> so we're going to, we're, we're giving the church two weeks to, to, you know, to be a part of that process. But we're going to, I'm going to share with you how I've approached the NAMI committee, which has revolutionized the way we do nominating committee. And um, so much so that people who serve in the nominating committee, they, they're eager to want to do it again. Can I be a part of this again? I love this. We have, we have a party every time we have a nominating committee. It's a joyful experience. It brings revival to the church. But that's going to be very practical because spiritual gifts ought to be the priority in the church. And so these are the priorities That are biblical, and I truly have come to be convicted that if the church will focus on four, just one, two, three, four, on these four priorities, okay, it's going to lead us to be prepared to receive the blessing of the Lord. It will result in a revival of primitive godliness when these four. Biblical priorities are the four priorities of the church and of our own personal lives. You will receive the blessings of the Lord in great measure in a way that you never have before. I am convinced that these are the priorities that awakens the dead. It truly revives the church. It makes dry bones come alive and it brings revival. Charles Bradford, which is a long-time preacher, um, he once said this, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Did you like that? Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And I believe today more than ever before, we need to prepare ourselves, not be unprepared, but prepare ourselves for a revival of true godliness And as we put to practice these four priorities, I only promise or guarantee only because he promised it first, and he guarantees that this will result in revival. Enough is enough, church. Enough is enough. We need to reprioritize. You know, we have a list, our list of 101 things are important. But we need to bring it down to four where we can really engage with what God wants us to do. Ellen G. White writes this There is nothing, huh? There is nothing that Satan fears so much as that the people of God should clear the way by removing every hindrance so that the Lord can pour out his spirit. Upon a languishing church and an impotent congregation. Wow. There's nothing more than he fears the most. What do you say? What do you say that we make the thief very afraid? What do you say that we make the devil very afraid? And that's what the next four sessions would be all about. So today I want to send you home with a priority. In fact, I, I would say it's the all-all-encompassing priority. When it really comes down to it. And today, I want to invite you, challenge you, appeal to you to make this a priority every day this week, especially and beyond, but especially this week, to begin each day with three words. Give me Jesus. Amen? Give me Jesus. Make that your all-encompassing priority this week. Give me Jesus. Don't, don't reason to yourself that I'm going to receive uh, showers of spiritual blessing by going to that seminar and that seminar and that. Fine, you will. But don't, don't just conclude that the 7 o'clock early morning session will be the spiritual feast that God wants you to partake of. Spend time alone. Spend time apart with God. Wake up early enough to spend one-on-one time With God alone, give me Jesus. May that be your prayer. And as you do so, God will open your eyes and pour out a blessing upon your life that you won't have enough room to receive it. So God bless you so much. Let's bow our heads together as we conclude with prayer. Father in heaven, how thankful we are, Lord, that it's during camp meeting that we can take time apart to to reexamine our lives, to ask ourselves, As a disciple, as as a member of my church, have I been taking time, investing time in what's most urgent and important? Lord, if if we are, I pray that you would reaffirm that in our hearts and just strengthen us and, 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 and just give us power to carry on, to continue, to let nothing distract us from it, but if there is a need to reprioritize, if there is a need to re-examine our hearts and ask ourselves, "Am I am I putting my time and energy and resource into what is most urgent and important?" If if we're not, Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts, and if you would use this seminar, Lord, to to be the the. The driving force that causes us to ponder, reflect, and be convicted, I pray that you would that you would do so, Lord. Use this class for your glory. So thank you for answering our prayers. Bless us the rest of this day and 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 beyond as we receive the blessings of camp meeting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio.